Welcome to the Cary Church Podcast. For more information regarding Cary Church, visit www.cary.asn.au. Good morning. There are two readings this morning, uh, one from Mark and one from Psalm 44. And uh, in the New International, it's headed, Jesus calms the storm. That day when evening came, he said to his disciples, let us go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was in the boat. There were also other boats with him. A furious squall came up and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? He got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the waves, Quiet, be still. Then the wind died down, and it was completely calm. He said to his disciples, Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? They were terrified and asked each other, Who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. And now to Psalm 44. Awake, Lord, why do you sleep? Rouse yourself, do not reject us forever. Why do you hide your face and forget our misery and oppression? We are brought down to the dust, our bodies cling to the ground. Rise up and help us, rescue us because of your unfailing love. Thanks, Chris. Morning, church. Welcome back, Brian and Rosemary. Lovely to have you back. It's really nice when you absolutely know you're the third string in the fiddle, isn't it? You know, we've got Dr. Brian Harris and Rosemary Harris back from three months in Europe. We've got the Ros Barnes International Woman Missionary of, Min- of Mystery. And you've got, oh, and we've got Dave. We think he's been to Rotto, so he can, uh, he can be with us. Hey, let's pray. Lord, thank you for today. Uh, Lord, hasn't necessarily gone to plan, but you're here. And we're here and your scriptures are with us. Uh, Lord, we, um, no one came to hear me speak, but we do want to hear you speak. Uh, so Lord, would you speak? Amen. Um, about 11 years ago, I went on an adventure uh, with uh, two good mates and one of their sons. And I went and did the Kokoda track. And being macho sort of guys, we didn't want to go with a tour group where, you know, we had someone to... Um, pull out our slippers at the end of the, the night and massage our feet. We wanted to do it all on our own. So we were, we were carrying our own gear and our own, um, our own gear and our own food and our own water. And we just had a guide. To do the Kokoda track, you've got to have a local guide. And because we knew we'd be doing that, we'd be, um, we had to train. And we trained hard. I was as fit as I have ever been the last 20 years when I went on to the Kokoda track. It was about a month before Luke was born. So you can see that I've got a very uh, long-suffering wife. And uh, we, we were fit. We, we flew up to Kokoda. We went from Kokoda on. And uh, the first, we got up there probably late morning. And the first day was just a half day of this steady climb. And that photo is a picture of a part of the track that's on that first day. And after about an hour, I started to feel every one of the approximately 29 kilograms that were in my backpack. And I could feel 
the energy going out of my legs. And this was day one of about day eight. And I really started to struggle. I really started to, to think, what the heck have I done? And, and I could just feel myself flagging. And you know, I was with Brennan Gifford. And if any of you know him, he's like a small mountain and charges on. And I, I'm, I'm at the back. The other guy was ex-army. And I'm thinking, oh, killer, what have you done? And, and I really started to struggle. I started to wonder, I'm, I'm not going to be able to do this. And I needed to, I needed to get a grip and get my head back in the game. I needed to say, no, I've trained for this. I've got the right gear. I've got the right food. I've got the right blokes. We've got a good guide. This is what I'm here for. And, and we faced much harder days. I mean, that's not, it was uphill for about three or four hours, but we had much, much steeper climbs and much, much more difficult days. I was much tireder at different times than I was then, but that was the most difficult because I'd stopped believing that I could do it. And I had to get, remind myself, what was I expecting? I came to do the Kokoda track. I didn't come for a walk in the park. I needed to remind myself, what the heck was I expecting? I was expecting challenge and difficulty. And here it is, Kilpatrick, get your head in the game and let's go. And once I reframed that, once I got my head back in the game and started trusting what I knew, it was okay. And I had a fantastic time. If you get the chance to do it, um, absolutely. And if you get the chance to do it with Brennan, he's an awesome companion. The passage in Mark chapter 4 is a fascinating passage. We have the story of Jesus calming a storm. But the background of the story is, is Jesus has been teaching hundreds, if not thousands of people all day. He's on the, the lake of the Sea of Galilee and um, there's so many people. He's actually said, look, let me just step into one of the fishing boats and just put out a little bit into the water so that the crowds wouldn't press upon him. And he's been, teaching, <coughs> he's been teaching all day. He's teaching about the kingdom of God. And then he says in, in the scriptures, it says, that day when evening came. So it's, it's, it's starting to get dark. And he said, let's go to the other side. Let's go to the other side. Now that seems to be a reasonably innocuous comment. Let's go to the other side. It's fine. Okay, off we go. But if we, if we get a perspective of the landscape and what that meant, we get a different picture. You'll see on the map a picture of the Sea of Galilee. Now, to give you some indication, that's about, well, I don't know what it was like 22,000 years ago, but at the moment it's about 21 kilometres long and it's about 13 kilometres wide. <coughs> now, you see up in the, the top uh, left-hand side, you've got Capernaum. To orientate yourself right down the bottom over in the, the west, you've got Nazareth. Jerusalem is further down. Um, you've got the Mount of the Beatitudes right up the top. That's you know, the Sermon of the Mount region. And Capernaum was the centre of a lot of Jesus' public ministry. Uh, that was um, where uh, Simon Peter and Andrew and James and John were from. And Jesus was sort of, would have been on, on the, the coast there preaching. Now, so this is all good, good Jewish territory here. It's on the right-hand side of the, the right side of the Jordan. On the other side of the Sea of Galilee, 
on the other side of the Jordan River, you've got the area that's known as the Decapolis region. The Decapolis referred to 10 cities that had dated back to Alexander the Great, the Greek uh, Empire, had been taken over by the Roman Empire, but were largely free to continue to practice (coughs) their culture and traditions. And for the Jews, these were pagan cities. This, This were, the Jews didn't mix and associate with the pagans. They tried to keep themselves separate. So this is on the right side of the Jordan River, or for you, the left side, the good side. And on the other side is the Decapolis, these pagan cities, this pagan region. So when Jesus said, we're going to the other side, they are going into pagan territory. Now, we don't know what the disciples were thinking. We don't know whether they thought, oh, we just, we're in the water here, we'll go to the water on the other side, or whether they were thinking that Jesus is actually going to go in and check out some of these places. We don't know what the disciples <laughs> We're thinking. But it's night time. These disciples, some of them were fishermen, wouldn't have been unfamiliar with going out in the boat at night, but they're going to the other side. The other aspect of significance is when we see what happened when Jesus got to the other side. See, in Mark chapter 5, we read, they went across the lake, the Sea of Galilee, to the region of the Gerasons. When Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an impure spirit came from the tombs to meet him. This man lived in the tombs and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been chained hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart and he broke the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and in the hills, he would cry out and cut himself with stones. When he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and fell on his knees in front of him and he shouted at the top of his his voice, What do you want from me, Jesus, son of the most high God? In God's name, don't torture me. For Jesus had said to him, Come out of this man, you impure spirit. Then Jesus asked, What is your name? My name is Legion, he replied, for we are many. And he begged Jesus again and again not to send them out of the area. A large herd of pigs was feeding on the nearby hillside. The demons begged Jesus, send us among the pigs, allow us to go into them. He gave them permission and the impure spirits came out and went into the pigs. The herd, about 2,000 in number, rushed down to the steep bank in the lake and were drowned. Those tending the pigs ran off and reported this in the town and the countryside and the people went out to see what had happened. When they came to Jesus, they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons sitting there, dressed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. (coughs) When Jesus said, let's go to the other side, it wasn't just the normal, hey, let's go for a bit of a night's sail. Jesus was leaving good Jewish territory. He was entering into pagan territory, and there he had a confrontation with the demonic. And he set a captive free. He overcame that which could not be overcome by anyone else. And he delivered this man who had been tortured, who'd been living amongst the graves and set him free. So we then go back to the reading in Mark chapter 4. 
And Jesus has been teaching about the kingdom of God. And he says to his disciples, let's go over to the other side. We start to feel the weight of his direction. Leaving the crowd behind him, they took him along just as he was in the boat. It's not as though he says, look, I'm just going to get a, a cloak and a bit of food. He's in the boat. He said, let's go. So they went. A furious squall came up and the waves broke over the boat. Now, um, <coughs> the Sea of Galilee is it, it's, it's in a bowl. There's some mountains there and the weather can change really quickly. Some inclement weather can come over the, the, the mountains really quickly and the Sea of Galilee can be whipped up into quite a squall quite quickly. A furious squall came up and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern sleeping on a cushion. Some commentators talk about that perhaps being a big sandbag in the centre of the, the boat to hold it as a stable. The disciples woke him and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? He got up. He rebuked the wind and said to the waves, Quiet, be still. The wind died down and it was completely calm. Then they were terrified and asked each other, Who is this person that even the wind and the waves obey him? Who is this person that even the wind and the waves obey him? I wonder what the disciples were expecting. When Jesus says, let's go to the other side, Jesus is going for a purpose. He is going for an encounter. He is going with intention. He is going to set a captive free. He is going to confront and claim authority over the demonic. I wonder what the disciples were expecting when they went with him. See, I wonder what we expect when we start the journey of following Jesus. Because if we're going to follow Jesus, we need to know where he's going. See, Jesus isn't going on a picnic. Jesus isn't going for a day in the beach. Jesus isn't going for a nice day on the lake. Jesus is going to the other side. He is going to set the captives free. He is going to conquer sin and death. Sometimes I think rather than being in Jesus' boat, we sometimes forget and think we're in HMAS. Jesus, can you make my life a little bit more comfortable, please? Can, can you give me a, a nice day upon the water? A.W. Tozer in his book, The Crucified Life. If you're wanting a good self-help, up-liberating book, isn't that the book you want to read? A Crucified Life. I'm feeling a bit flat today. What am I going to read? I know, I'll read Tozer's A Crucified Life. Tozer said, some have the idea that God's purpose is to make our lives more tolerable here on earth. That rather cheapens what Christ did on the cross. If all he wanted to do was make our lives more tolerable, then he could have done that in a variety of other ways. God's sovereign purpose for us is to make us like his son, Jesus Christ. If we understand that everything happening to us is to make us more Christ-like, it will solve a great deal of anxiety in our lives. He goes on encouragingly in the book, some people have been misinformed about the Christian life and living the crucified life. For some reason, they think that it is an easy path. 
They believe that God will take away all of their problems and difficulties and that they will be able to live their lives without any kind of distractions or disturbance. As everyone who has travelled this journey knows, such is not the case. If your journey is not cluttered with difficulties and hardships and burdens, you just might be on the wrong path. So I was on the Kokoda path and I was shocked by, by the difficulty and I had to say to myself, what was I expecting? What was I expecting? When we're following Jesus, he is on a path to the reconciliation of the whole world to his Father. He is about conquering violence and pain and death through transformative love. And he says to us, take up your cross and follow me. What are we expecting from the journey? I think another question we can ask from this passage is, why was Jesus so upset with his disciples? I mean, he clearly was. He said, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? What was he upset about? I mean, he was asleep. He'd been teaching all day. He's asleep in the boat. The disciples come and wake him up. I know sometimes I'm asleep on the couch and my kids come and wake me up. And at that moment, I'm not in the happiest mood. Maybe Jesus was just having a bad moment. I mean, maybe Jesus was a bit frustrated because the disciples didn't trust their sailing skills to be able to get to the other side through a storm. I mean, these are fishermen, for Pete's sake. Pull yourself into gear. What was Jesus upset about? Well, let's look at what the disciples said. The disciples woke Jesus up and said, Jesus, teacher, don't you care that we're going to drown? What we do know is that he didn't, they didn't wake Jesus up so that he would calm the storm. They never imagined he would calm the storm. He was, they were terrified when he calmed the storm. They said, who is this? They weren't thinking that he'd calm the storm. So I wonder what they were thinking. See, he'd been teaching and, and this teacher who they were following said, let's go to the other side. And he falls asleep. So they're trying to do what he says and they encounter this storm. And I suspect they're thinking, we shouldn't be going other to side. This is nuts. This is bad weather. We want to be back in Capernaum. I don't want to be out here. Let's go back. Don't you care that we're going to drown? We're doing what you want us to do and you're asleep. And in a moment they realise, oh, we have no idea who this is. So this is a story about some disciples who panic, wake up Jesus and he calms the storm. So do we take from this that when we're panicked and when we're scared and when we face a storm, we cry out to Jesus and he's going to make it all okay. No, it'd be really nice if that was the case. But no. See, this wasn't a high point in the disciples' relationship with Jesus. He's saying, come on, guys. And we know that that's not what life is like. We know. Life is full of storms. There are trials, there are hardships, there are difficulties. And I suspect all of us have experienced the time where we've cried out to God and said, God, would you calm the storm? Would you change my circumstances? 
and it seems like God is silent. We see this reflected in Psalm 44, 23 to 26 that Chris read out to us. Awake, Lord, why do you sleep? Rouse yourself, do not reject us forever. Why do you hide your face and forget our misery and oppression? We are brought down to the dust and our bodies cling to the ground. Rise up and help us. See, sometimes storms aren't still. People die. People suffer. Really difficult, painful stuff happens. And we cry out to Jesus and nothing seems to happen. The storm is not still. And we see this from the scriptures as well. If we read about the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Now, if we had a super apostle, Paul is it. I mean, if there was someone who had a vision of the sovereignty and magnificence of the risen Christ, it was Paul. If someone had an understanding of the depths and unfathomable breadth of God's love for us, it was Paul. If there was anyone who was faithful, it was Paul. If there's anyone who's going to get cut a break, it's Paul. But in 2 Corinthians 11, it says five times, I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. They weren't allowed to give them 40 lashes because it might have killed them. So they took one off and gave them 39. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked and I spent a night and day in the open sea. Clearly Jesus didn't calm those storms. Paul, despite his stature in the faith, still endured trial after trial after trial. I wonder if at times Paul felt like Jesus <coughs> was asleep. So what do we do? How do we frame for ourselves the trials and the difficulties and why at times perhaps God seems silent? You see, I think I think we we sometimes need to reframe our perspective. In James chapter 1, James writes these extraordinary words, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Who wakes up in the morning goes to work, gets made redundant and said, Lord, thank you for another trial. James says we should. Not because the thing in itself is good, but it gives us the opportunity for our faith to be tested and to persevere. In Romans chapter 5, it says, Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings, because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. Again, this idea that suffering gives us the opportunity to form something in us that would not otherwise be formed. When I was training for the Kokoda, I didn't walk along a fat path. I knew that I needed to put some weight on my back and trudge upstairs despite the difficulty of that because I knew that it was only the resistance and difficulty that was going to prepare me for what was ahead. 
I wouldn't have been able to do the Kokoda if I just walked without a pack on the ground. I needed to climb stairs. I needed to struggle. And it was that struggle that brought in me the capacity to do something I would not otherwise have been able to do. There's another perspective that we need to hold, and that's in Romans 8. It says, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? Do we get a theme going on here? No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Why? The writer says, For I am convinced that neither death nor life, nor angels nor demons, neither the present or the future or any powers, neither height or depth or anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. See, there's a profound difference between the attitude of the disciples when they woke up Jesus and the psalmist who says, Lord, would you awake? Because the the disciples said, Jesus, don't you care that we're going to drown? But the psalmist says, rise up and help us, rescue us because of your unfailing love. See, the psalmist, despite the apparent silence of God, did not forget and had faith about who they were praying to. He knew that God had unfailing love. He still cried out but he understood who he was crying out to. The disciples said, don't you care? Philippians 4, verse 6. The writer says, do not be anxious about anything. Who's got that one nailed? At least we're honest. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, by prayer and requests, with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. So God is saying, hey, don't be anxious about anything. But if there's there's a worry, if there's a concern, if there's a hardship, come to me, present your request, cry out to me, and I'll fix it and make it all go away. No, he doesn't say that. He says, cry out to me. And it talks about the peace of God coming. It's easy to trust in a God who's always going to answer the way we want. It's a bit more difficult to hold that same trust with a God who won't necessarily calm the storm. A few years ago, Vonnie and I were doing some work um, on occasions overseas. I have been overseas, but... And <coughs> it was a country with some danger. And Vonnie and I had been both together, this is my wife, together a, a number of times. And we were just working out whether we should go again. And, and the risk level was increasing. And, and we were trying to work out whether we should both go or whether just one of us go. Because if we both go and something happens, we've got four kids at home. And we were just needing to come to terms with the ability to ask the question, Lord, what do you want? Do you want us both to go? And if he says yes, for us both to go without any guarantee that we get home. Recognising that the only promise God gives to us 
is that he is good, that he is sovereign, that he can calm the storm if he wants to, and that he will never leave us and nothing can snatch us out of his hand. And coming to an understanding that that is the only promise that we have, but that is enough. Because God has rescued us for all eternity. We have this moment in time where we suffer struggles and trials and hardships. We often cry out that God would change the circumstances where God is wanting the circumstances to wrought the change he's wanting in me. When my kids were little, they'd get a splinter or something or they'd hurt themselves and they'd be screaming and thrashing and, and, and I'd be saying to them, just calm, breathe, rest into this, relax. Because until you do, I can't actually do what I want to do in you. And sometimes I think we get so focused and consumed by the really difficult Storm. We get so obsessed about getting out that we forget to look for God in the storm. And to say, Lord Jesus, if you can do this, would you change this? But I'm following you. See, that's what Jesus did in the Garden of Gethsemane when he is facing an onslaught of all of the evil in the world. He is about to be crucified. He is in the, in the garden sweating blood and his disciples have fallen asleep. And he said, oh, Father God, if you can, would you take this cup from me? But not my will, but yours be done. See, Jesus knew where he was going. He knew he didn't sign up for a picnic. He knew that all eternity was secured. He trusted his Father and he continued on. Jesus calls us to take up our cross and follow him. One doesn't need a cross to go to the beach. One doesn't need a cross for a nice day in the water. I want to be... I read this story and there's something in me that goes... Yeah, I want to be the guy on the front of the boat in the storm going, ah, you call that a storm. Come and get me. I've got Jesus in my boat. Ah! But honestly, that's just about my own ego and bravado. What I really want to be is the person that doesn't panic. I want to nudge Jesus in the boat and say, Jesus, these storm, these waves are getting really big and I'm scared we're going to drown. But if this is where you're going on with you, can you give me courage? Can you help me persevere? Jesus, if you're going to the other side, I'm with you and, and I don't know what's going to happen, but I trust you. I don't trust you because I'm not going to fall out of the boat. I trust you because I know that you can, if you want to, still the storm in a heartbeat. I know that you have died in order to set me free. I know that nothing in the world can separate me from your love. I know that my future is secured. And I know that you're about something that is bigger than my current circumstances. You're about reconciling an entire world to yourself. And friends, church, we are called to go to the other side. 
We are called to participate in what God is doing to set the captives free, to bring love into the world, to communicate to people that they matter. And it's not going to be a picnic. But everyone suffers trials. Everyone suffers tribulations. If I've got to suffer them, I want to suffer them for a purpose and I want to suffer them for Jesus and with Jesus because I have learned over the history of my life that when I focus more on resting into who he is and what he's doing in the midst of the storm and focus less on trying to escape my circumstances, God starts to do something in me that he could never do without it. As a church, let's be the people. Not the clowns that stand on the front and say, woohoo! But nudge Jesus and say, Jesus, this is really scary. If, if you can, can you rescue us? But whatever happens, Lord, I'm with you. If you're going to the other side, I'm following. And would you just do whatever you're wanting to do in me through this? Jesus came to set us free, to make us like himself. And the journey is not a picnic. It's an adventure with the saviour of the world. And it's worth it. Everything else pales into insignificance in comparison to it. That's a journey I want to do with you as a community of people. Some of the waves and the storms that you face are incredibly difficult and enormously painful. Nothing about what I've said minimises any of that. And, and, and if we look across the world, we see incredible pain that the church is suffering. It is not to pretend that the pain is not there. It is not to pretend it's not difficult. It's to find Jesus in the boat right in the middle of the storm. And say, Jesus, whatever happens, I trust you. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you. Lord, we thank you that you are still going to the other side. Lord, we thank you that you came and rescued us from the other side. Lord, we thank you that we are no longer strangers to your goodness and your grace and your love. Lord, we thank you that you have commissioned us as your church across the world to be your hands and your feet, to be your ministers of reconciliation, to go to the other side and the continuation of your journey of reconciling the world to yourself. And Lord, thank you for the reminder that it is not a picnic. Lord, it is an adventure with the creator of all things. Lord, thank you that we get to do it as community. That when we're weak and struggling, there are brothers and sisters that can remind us to say, Jesus is here. Look for him. Lord, we want to be obedient. We want to be followers of you. Lord, we do not want to be people that just want you in our boat to make our life more comfortable. We want to be about your purposes and your kingdom and your agenda and your direction.
Lord, thank you for the reminder that we can expect challenge and difficulty and that doesn't mean we've got it wrong. It just means we need to look out a little bit more carefully for you and trust that you are present. Lord, for those people that are in deep, deep waters at the moment, would you please increase our faith? Would you enable them by the power of your spirit to let go and lean into your sovereignty and your goodness and the promise that nothing can snatch us out of your hand? And Lord, will we have the courage to take up our cross, to surrender our objective ultimately to you and follow you? Thank you, Lord. Amen. Thanks, Mark.